handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I am your host, J.L. Covan. It is 2.52 p.m. Eastern on March 21st in the year of our Lord, 2022. It is officially spring, and uh, I have nothing else to say about that. So, it's spring. Um, we are three days away, as of this recording, from the two-year anniversary of... The J.L. Covan Trump Easter video. One of my worst Trump impressions, uh, because my voice was off, somehow made me mildly famous for, depending on how you measure fame, one week to two years. Closer to one week than two years, but you know what I mean. You're still listening to this podcast, person who didn't hear of me or know who the hell I was two years ago at this time. And uh, it's been uh, it's been a wonderful uh, two years, as anybody who listens to this podcast knows. Nothing but rainbows, sunshine, candy, and happiness. <laughs> uh, let's see, what should we talk about today? Well, let's off the off the bat, just your usual reminders. Anybody anywhere close to Buffalo, New York? Anybody with friends close to Buffalo, New York? Anybody who's ever heard of Buffalo, New York that's listening to this? I will be at uh, Helium in Buffalo on April 26th. Um, As you can tell, I'm not promoting uh, many other gigs because I haven't gotten uh, email replies or gig offers. So we're, we're sort of, you know, as I lament every third episode i'm basically in a in a very odd situation where i'm pretty much back to where i was two years ago like two years ago to this day where no one was replying to my emails for bookings and uh you know so that's that's where we're at so uh, i'm emailing clubs um and so far uh, none have gotten back to me and only a couple of people um in new york new jersey 
uh, have gotten back to me about just like some local shows. So as usual, as a longtime fans, listeners, friends of mine know, I've always said the comedy community is a, a community the way, you know, uh, a prison is a community. Like, sure, you'll get along, but if you have to uh, buttfuck somebody or cut somebody's throat, uh, you'll do that too, because community. <laughs> so, um, basically, you know, as I've, as I've said before uh, on this podcast, basically I'm... I'm Counting down the days to May 14th, which is now, you know, under two months till the uh, second recording of my special, um, because I didn't want to be doing this, what I'm doing right now, which is, it was humiliating enough to a certain degree the first time when I had all these gigs lined up, uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Raleigh, North Carolina, New York, New Jersey, etc., and I sold very. I sold my tickets. Sold very poorly. DC was it was a success, similar to Boston last year. But most of the cities I had scheduled, other than DC, were, were resounding failures. Uh, pre-special recording. Oh no, those were after the special. What am I talking about? Basically, the shows. Wait, the shows I had before were Raleigh, Philadelphia. DC was after. I'm I'm jumbling up my dates. But the point was, almost all the shows I had before the special taping were terrible. Not the comedy, but just tear like small as fuck audiences. But I said, okay, I'm going to go through this hell once and then just hope that I'm ready enough and can deliver an A-plus special. And I did. And I said, I don't want to ever do that again. So if this ends up being my last special, so be it. I'm not doing that again. I'm not going through the... It's, it's one thing to be frustrated with your career, but to actually have to just keep going out and feeling actively like a failure is just it's not psychologically healthy it's not good and for whatever reason that's that's what it felt like but I said when I nailed that special I said okay good it was worth it it was worth it because whatever it took I delivered an A plus and I'm not doing that again um and thank oh good thank god I don't have to so I'm going to release this special hire a publicist hope for the best and if it doesn't change my career then my career is over Simple. Like, I, I worked hard to get to that sort of state of mind. And then, as we all know, if we listen to this podcast regularly, though, I would say the worst case scenario was not this. This is somehow worse than the worst case scenario. So now I have to do it all over again. So I've got, I'll be posting on social media for those of you who give a flying fuck. But, I, you know, I've got a couple of local shows in New York. Um, obviously, the, the, <laughs> The important show is the taping on May 14th. I don't know if I have to clarify that. The free bar shows I'm doing. Uh, if you are, if you're homeless and you listen to this podcast, congratulations on getting your hands on an audio uh, a digital device. But if you're homeless, then then sure, come on through to the free bar shows. But if you're anywhere above homeless and you live anywhere near New York, uh, I hope you will get tickets sooner rather than later. Just I'm honest with you guys. Um, we're at 25% sold, so not great. Now we were, you know, the ticket sales were, were shit early on as well for the first taping and we ended up selling out. But once again, uh, in the interest of mental health, obviously the sooner I sell the show out or sell a critical mass of tickets, the more I can stop fretting over that side of it. But whatever, for, for whatever reason, you know, I'm just, 
I don't, I don't get, I, I don't know at, anymore. I, I didn't want to be doing this. I thought, I thought by, by my birthday, I think I said to the righteous girlfriend at one point, I said like my birthday, I can just like quit comedy or celebrate a new phase of my comedy career. But either way, um, it can't go on like this. And now I have to go on like this and I have to repeat. This is, isn't this, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you say person who can't reply to me, this is sort of like a Greek tragedy without the body hair in my case. This is like a Greek tragedy. Coven, Covenopolis. <laughs> J. Elthanes. <laughs> J. Elthanes Covenopolis. <laughs> uh, runs a failing Greek diner um, by day and endures fucking atrocious repeated tragedies in his comedy career at night. But isn't that it is it is Greek tragedy level like in other words JL will come tantalizingly close to achieving his dreams and then we'll have to keep repeating that 90% of the way that he worked so hard multiple times to get through. So the point is wait was that JL JL Feliz Covenopolis. Okay, that, I mean that's the title, guys. Obviously, come on. Who are we kidding? I don't need to. I, that one I should be able to remember. I don't want to get to the point like thirty minutes into the podcast where I go, "What the fuck was I saying before?" It was Greek salad? Was that the name? Was the title of the thing going to be Greek salad? Greek yogurt? Ah, fuck! I'm brain dead. Fuck! Fuck! Fucking fuck! Fuck! Uh, that was me. Imper- How about that, guys? That was meta. That was me parodying myself. So I hope you enjoyed that. Anyway, oops, just hit the microphone. Sorry. Um, but now I have to go through this all again. And, and the stress, the stress of not selling tickets compounded with the stress of like not getting gigs or replies for gigs or any assistance from the comedy community for any kind of bar show or hookup or connection is really it's it is. The loneliness of this career is only heightened by the success I've had because it's like, oh, everybody was chasing me down when they thought they could kind of, you, 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 at your own peril, you mistake the grubby, scummy attention of comedians as respect or friendship or I have friends in the comedy world, but the majority, and there'll be people you worked with that you think, hey, well, I have a, a, a professional admiration or a, a friendly respect for you, person who I've done stuff with in the past. And, and I just project that onto you and assume that when you contact me about doing a podcast or doing something, that there's that mutual... I, I understand, obviously, having a bigger following will, will, will heighten people's interest, but I didn't think it was just 100% all about maybe if he retweets this, he, that will help us other than that. Don't ever ask him or help him or do anything. It's, but that's, that's the nature of it. And then the sad thing about that is when that creates a really justified cynicism about basically all people involved in the, in the stand-up comedy world, from, from agents, managers, to club bookers, to fellow comedians, the cynicism is well-deserved well and being cautious and standoffish would be a rational strategy. Um, but instead, you have to keep putting your dick out there for people to kick in the hopes that one day someone will caress it and say, come with me. I'd like to make one tenth of your dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So uh, anyway, Buffalo, April 26th. And then I'm still working on some DC shows. Um, I had somebody hit me. I've had some people hit me up about my Boston shows. They are uh, two shows on July 15th. The ticket link, I hope, will be up this week. Um, so that's good. Um, I hope. I hope people come out. I hope people who couldn't make the time I was there come out. I hope more people come out. It's a Friday night. Look at that. Whoop the fucking do. I booked a Friday night in Beantown. Um, but um, I don't. I don't know at this point. So it's like basically the, that's the big three, folks. Buffalo, uh, April twenty sixth, special taping May fourteenth, and then July. Fifteenth, uh, uh, Boston, at City Winery. So right now, that's all I've got on the schedule. I do have some bar shows, which which I will be I will post about on Twitter and and stuff. But most people will ignore it or not see those. Um, but keep your eye out. Obviously, you know, check in on my page if you give a shit. Any page, whatever page on any site, I will post. But a lot of time, the stuff just isn't visible or seen or or, or whatever. But um, you know, and then. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, mean I, I can't help. I had such a fun trip that that trip um, through through, you know, from Chicago to California was was really one of the most fun comedy experiences I've had. Um, the people who came out were, I mean, just super diehard and enthusiastic and, and great audiences. And it was just fun traveling and mostly being able to, able to forget work and 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 at the time of course for half of that trip i was blissfully unaware um that the special was a technical disaster so i really thought that that felt like a victory lap until it wasn't um and had i known the special was fucked up in october um which certainly was a perfectly within the capabilities of eyeballs and uh, to, to understand that it was technically fucked up um I could have I could have arranged for like a retaping at the end of February and it would have come off the heels of like all those headlining gigs that were going so well and I would have been strong and sharp and and made lemon out of lemonade uh, <laughs> lemonade out of lemons but instead now I'm at this point where I can't get booked I, like bookings are more difficult to come by than they were in uh, in the fall so I'm somehow going to feel like less prepared and just have to hope again. And I don't really like to hope when it comes to hope. Comedy is where hope goes to die. Stand-up comedy is where hope goes to die. And pandering and bigotry and, and virtue signaling and scumbaggery thrive. It's, it's like a sewer. It's like a bacteria-filled sewer, the world of stand-up comedy. Um, and so, so, you know, that's... Uh, I, I just can't wait. It's such a... It's so, it's so fucked to just be like I just can't wait for this to be over like I don't want my first special to feel like a a burden or a chore or something to just get through um but it kind of is which is unfortunate like (laughs) and when it's done you know it's 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 I don't want to say all or nothing but that's it that that'll be it um now, what I'd like to do, except I have no vacation time left in work, I have like five, I have, I think, five or six days of vacation left at work for the year. Two of those days are for Buffalo. Once again, proving that 
how stupid comedy is. I have to use up two vacation days because I can't get weekend gigs. So I have to use two vacation days to do what will undoubtedly be an incredibly lightly attended show in Buffalo on a Tuesday just so I can run through my set. And then I will use a half a day for Boston in July. So that, t- that knocks me down to three vacation days right now for the rest of 2022, unless, of course, I quit my job, which would be the act of an insane fucking moron if you've been paying attention to this podcast or the trajectory of my career for the last 14 months. But um, what I'd really like to do is just a different route of the trip I did uh, in January, February, which is see if I can get Ann Arbor, but we've discussed Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, they booked me. They were one of only two clubs to book me as a headliner pre-2020. But I really had great fucking sets. And the owner was very complimentary and said, yeah, well, let's have you back in fall 2020. You know, like on his, usually he said, we have about a 16-month rotation. He's like, let's get you back in fall 2020. And then you can get like a three-day a three day weekend, make a little more money, you know, make a little more trip. And I loved Ann Arbor. The crowds were really good. I had really, I had really good shows. So it wasn't him blowing smoke up my ass. I had communication with him, um, just checking on his health because he was he was he was in some serious health uh, stuff, and he's he's still with us. So like I think he he got through what was what was ailing him, and and to be through COVID and what was ailing him obviously is is, is a great thing. But since summer 2020, I've probably sent um, eighteen communications. To the club, including him, and and not one has been responded until I sent a tweet um, where they said, "Hey, we'd love to have you back." Like he's just under the wet, and I was like, "Yeah, but people are getting booked." So like, if he's not okay or if he's recovering, who? The obvious implication of me asking for gigs is okay. Well, as much as I'd like him to be healthy for the purposes of my comedy career, I don't give a fuck who actually books me. <laughs> so if somebody else is doing that, can you? Unless you're blowing smoke up my ass, can you send this message to the person booking? Point point being, I'd like to go back there. I've had many Detroit area people say, when are you coming to Detroit? And I'm always like, I don't know. I got, I got booked there before I got famous. So I genuinely don't fucking understand. But in a perfect world, here's what I would do. Uh, maybe this fall, if the special is taken off or I've been rebooked on billions, which of course both of those things are... One in a million for a regular comic, which means probably one in 30 million for me. Um, But what I would do is I would go to Ann Arbor, then to Chicago and Milwaukee, try to do like, there's a Milwaukee improv, so try to do like a Wednesday, Thursday, like weekend Ann Arbor, head over to Milwaukee and Chicago, then go all the way west to some of those people who've been requesting me in Seattle, so state of Washington show or shows, down to Portland first show at the Helium in Portland, back into California for maybe a NorCal and some SoCal shows or just run along the coast, whether it be improvs or, or smaller venues, I don't give a shit. I just like, you know, I, I like to get back on the road and do my bus train touring again. Then swing over to Vegas again, but try to get booked at a show in Vegas this time. Then head back to Utah where I think I can, I, I'm pretty sure I, I will get a weekend at the Jordan Landing location in in Utah, which was wonderful, and obviously a Friday Saturday would be cooler than a Thursday. More money, more merch sales, more whatever, and then uh, and then head home. 
and I'd love to do that. Um, but obviously that would involve clubs returning my messages. That would involve me making a commitment to comedy over law or waiting until 2023 when my vacation reboots, which is just a sad thought there as well. Like I'd love to pursue my dream in year 20 of my dream, um, but I don't have the PTO time. Like it's, uh, you can, I think you can appreciate because many of many of you, some of you, all of you should be aware of what a miserable fuck I am. But to many of you, you know that like my comedy has reached a lot of people and that I'm very good. And it's, so it is weird to be like, four, uh, you know, I turned 43 in a month. June 2nd will be 19 years since I picked up a microphone in Washington, D.C. to try my hand at open mic comedy. And it's just futile, I think, is probably a, a, a word, which is also um, would be my middle name in, uh, in my Greek name, Jaelthalese Futile Kovanopoulos. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's... You, you, I, I've lamented this long enough, but it's just, this is, this is the dilemma because all logic tells me I have to mentally prepare to quit comedy because what happened the first time when I moved to Jersey and sort of decided comedy was no longer going to be my priority after 16 years, it was like a five year process of deep disappointment and near misses and near hits that conditioned me to go I don't have it in me anymore I'm too I'm, I'm too fucking or I guess it was like six and a half years about really if we're being serious um where I it was like worn down so there was like a natural erosion of my desire and confidence and motivation and then obviously a bunch of shit happened and turned that around in a hurry shockingly overwhelmingly but now I just, you know, uh, when the special's, when the special's done, um, you know, hopefully you buy it. I mean, I'd love a, a platform buy it, bought it, but I, I don't, I don't see that happening. I, you know, there's too many things working against me, it seems, and I don't even know what they are, but I'm sure the title half blackface will make somebody go, oh, is this like one of these angry white bros who's against cancel culture pass and bef before anybody can be like no no it's a very thoughtful uh um a brilliant stand-up special from a biracial comedian no we already passed he looks he looks angry white and nobody will give us um progressive credits for they'll just assume that it's and and we're not interested in the viral clips people will share out of context and say this is offensive i'm deleting netflix or i'm deleting showtime or um, I'm deleting Discovery Plus. Uh, this is supposed to be a place for 90 Day Fiance, not half blackface. This is offensive. Go away. Um, so I don't know. It just seems like, and, and, and I'm writing a blog right now, which I hope to put out Wednesday or Thursday. Um, just about like trends in comedy. And I mean, TikTok, TikTok's the future. And, and I think the future is very bleak. Um, and you have to sort of maybe just not fight. Fight for things that are more important than comedy. You know, one could say, well, I'm not fighting for comedy. I'm fighting for my life and my dream. But if I think that way, then I'm just going to feel like my life is, is a failure. Um, so easier to think of it as like jokes and comedy and a, and a, and a hobby that, that I failed at. But um, 
when I look at TikTok and I see the future, I don't say this literally, but it's the kind of thing where metaphor, it makes you want to like give up on life as some, because what happens is yes, yes, there's fun stuff on TikTok and very creative stuff. But I saw a video like of Steve, it's like a somebody lip syncing Steve Harvey from Family Feud. And I was like, oh, that's, that's okay. I guess, is that like the new thing? And then I saw, I've seen like 15 people do it. And they all have like big followings and they got lots of likes for it. And I, I, I've said this before, but I was like, what's that quote from Marshall McLuhan? The, me, the medium is the message. It's not about what you make. It's about succeeding on TikTok. And, and I thought social media before this was problematic for, for creativity, but oh my God, I'm, I'm not kidding you. When I look at, so, so in other words, when somebody does something, thousands of people immediately copy it. And that's, that is frightening um, to, because it's, it's basically saying creativity is not the goal follows and likes are the goal and the way to get follows and likes is to simply copy an original like copying is not just a mode of creativity on tiktok it's the easiest and most bankable way to get likes and follows other than if you are famous already or really good at something like it's it's the it is it is the it's the GED of creativity for untalented people. Like, in other words, you could skip high school and just take this one test and end up with, in, in some respect, the exact same thing. Um, sure, it's great if you take AP classes in, and maybe you'll go to a better college, but I still have the equivalent of a high school diploma, and all I did was this shortcut, this, like, minimum level of effort possible shortcut. And when I see that, it's just, it's, it's, I'm sorry, it's, it's really disturbing um, to me. <clears throat> Once again, probably should just forget about it. But it's like, when you scroll through TikTok, you're just like, this app is like augmenting and incentivizing the, the most mediocre to 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 find a quick way to what we now consider success which is not you know yes it's great to be the funny one who creates something but you'll get 90% of the benefit of the person with talent by just copying the person with talent or skill or creativity that's fucking horrible you know it started with like lip sync in general we used to be a fucking pariah in art and I mean obviously anybody who knows my comedy or saw the first special taping or something you know my milly vanilli bit as it relates to TikTok but now holy I mean holy fucking shit it's and and it'd be one thing if TikTok was just this like oh well it's no but now TikTok is the like app uh du jour for for you know, managers in all their infinite wisdom, if they pick up a phone call, if they pick up a phone or send an email, you know, 
they want to know how many TikTok followers you have. And, and to me, that's like one of those, it's like such a sign of, oh, you're not, you're not good at your job. <laughs> like you're not good at your, like you're good at what bullshit your job may have become, but you are probably not good at your job if, if what your main concern is, is TikTok followers. Because, and, and it bleeds into stand-up. Because stand-up is that catch-all, well, we don't know what to do with this person, but he has a lot of fans. He can't sing. He can't dance. Um, he doesn't really write stuff, but he's he's created some easy, digestible content. So let's just put him in, if he's got enough followers, let's put him in a theater. But if he's got like a you know less than that, we could probably get him some stand-up dates. This isn't to denigrate people who are stand-up comedians who also go viral on TikTok, but there are those people like... You're competing with people who've never done stand-up for very limited spots. And, you know, it all goes into the same equation of like, you know, I thought it felt like a race against time in terms of my career at various points. And I was always behind, you know, like I was focusing on writing jokes and then YouTube became a thing. And I was like, well, I don't make videos. Oh, shit, I better, I better start making videos. I better diversify my portfolio. And I really like YouTube. You know, and I, and I, you know, YouTube is, is, you know, to TikTok what, you know, fucking analogy to analogy. No, but, but YouTube, you can, I mean, you can put anything on YouTube and it can, you know, you can put a movie on YouTube. You can put, and TikTok obviously allows a lot of creativity and, but, but it also may, you know, adds you so many things that makes it simple for simpletons to make decent content. But um, YouTube showed up and then like people were becoming YouTube stars while you were like, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I got these jokes. I'm, I'm writing my ass off. And then social media shows up and you got to become big on Facebook or Twitter. And those were hard to come by. And then you got to start a podcast. And I'm like, what does this have, any of this have to do with becoming a good stand up comedian? And it was like, no, that you need to get it's, it's, it's the reverse. It's the reverse path where it's like, you need to get the fans so that you can get the opportunity to do large shows and then worry about if you're good or not. Um, so I've been doing it the quote-unquote right way, which is also seems to be the failing way. Um, and then TikTok showed up, like right, like, like right as what I, you know, what I did hit. It's very fitting that a TikTok person who literally is is a, is a not a good comedian blew up 20 times as big as me and, and and because that that's that's a perfect kind of para, that's a perfect kind of encapsulation um in in shorthand of what's going on in in comedy for the most part and so so there are plenty of people who are already grandfathered in who either have representation or had thriving careers before we hit sort of the TikTok era they're all grandfathered in, but anybody now trying to compete or get in better to be a mediocre talent with strong TikTok presence than a, a great talent with mediocre TikTok presence. Like you will lose if you choose talent over TikTok. <laughs> so. That's why with all these forces, I have to try to look at things rationally and take comfort in that because 
if I don't, I'll become very upset and depressed and angry. So as rationally as I can say, I say, if this special doesn't break through, I think it's a wrap for me. Um, because I have, as much as I love doing comedy, I have no desire to just continually be disrespected either by commission or omission by this business. Um, and, and as an example, and I don't think I remembered to say this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but I was offered, um, I've been talking to the, you know, the booker of, of the, the funny bone chains and maybe I did say this, um, but you know, saying, Hey, any, you know, any, any, any headlining spots, any off nights, like a Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm, I'm doing a special. I'd love to get in if you have any cancellations or if not, just keep me in mind for afterwards, after my special, if you see anything. It's like, nothing right now, but okay. But then he wrote to me. I think I did say this last week. I apologize, but was like, oh, we have something in Syracuse. Uh, what, like, are you available Friday, Saturday? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I can get there. Yeah, sure. I'm, and I said, oh, Friday was the Elton John concert uh, that I went to. So I was like, oh, I'm available Saturday if that helps. So he writes to me on Friday and goes, okay, so I've got feature two feature spots on Saturday, bop, 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 like this money and this hotel. And I was like, enraged. I was enraged because it showed a complete and total lack of respect. Either because you forget our communications that we've had over over the many years and recently, you know, as of a month ago, ask specifically with the word headlining gigs. So you either just disregarded me, but you did specifically reach out to me as an East Coast person. So you must have some fucking clue who I am. Or you disregarded that and said, well, fuck this guy. I can give it like, I don't care what he thinks he is. I'll offer him a, a spot that he does not clearly does not want and clearly values himself above. I'll offer it to him anyway, because fuck him. And I felt and the only thing making it even worse, making me even more like red in the face, literally, was that I knew I couldn't say that to him. I couldn't say, how fucking dare you? I just had to go, well, uh, no, I, maybe I didn't communicate correctly. <laughs> uh, I was seeking uh, headlining gigs. Maybe I wasn't clear. I apologize for that. I hope I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I hope you don't uh, think of me as ungrateful, oh, kind sir. Um <clears throat> But I was looking for headlining work um, because I'm not interested in bringing 70 fans in upstate New York to uh, see me do 25 minutes and get a fixed rate and help out the, the income of the headliner, whoever he is or she is that you chose. I, I don't need to boost their uh, earnings. <laughs> but I couldn't say that. Instead, I was like, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't say what I want to say, so I just had to be like, oh, I'm... I'm I guess I wasn't clear. I was looking for headlining. I can't, um, I can't, you know, with my job and with other uh, obligations, I can't afford, you know, on a, on a feature spot, I can't afford to give up two days of my weekend uh, and, and pay for travel for that. But, but thank you so much for, for even replying to me, sir. I hope you have a great day. And if, if you need your balls licked, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take the first first class flight to lose money to do it for you, sir. Thank you. Bye. So, that's stand-up comedy for you. 
So other than that trip, which I hope to take, um, if I could ever swing, you know, it was, it was difficult enough to swing like a five gig tour perfectly, but hey, if I could swing like a like an eight gig tour, like an expanded version and hit up some of those cities where I have fans uh, that have been begging for me to come uh, for a while, I would like to do that. And maybe that could be the farewell tour. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure you guys can imagine it's it's stressful to think, yeah, every 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 14 months, I want to feel like my career hinges on a Hail Mary, which is what it feels like. And I, and, and then to, but the, 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 the harshest lesson is that in 2020, the Hail Mary happened. And it still didn't actually change things for the future. It just gave me a boost. Like I haven't touched. I gave the last two years. I gave just under fifty k to charity and real charities, not like my fucking college and shit, but real, real health and homeless and hunger charities. And I then threw every penny I made into a, a savings account, and that's it. And I don't touch that. So I'm I'm living right now week to week. Now, this is me crying poverty, but it's very important to me mentally that I not touch my 2020 money. Because to me, that money was not 2020 and 2021, sort of like the 2021 money basically was like all spent on other things. But the 2020 money stays in the bank. Because it's a reminder to me that that money was luck and not earned. I earned, of course I earned it, but I mean, I had every reason to believe that I had set up a self-sustaining comedy ecosystem with my decades of, of content, with my voluminous amount of stand-up comedy albums and content, um, with the contacts I'd made in, in via social media, with, with the, 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 you know, the, just the reach that I had, had, had grown, um, I believe that I was setting myself up for a career change and had every reason to think that except for the fact that it was me. And when that started to really turn south, I just, I thought to myself, I don't want to touch that money because that money will sit there and will remind me every month, like at the end of this month when I pay rent and I pay all my bills off, my bank account will be in the three digits. Now that's, that's, that's where I've always been. That's fine. I'm doing sort of what I like to do, kind of, <laughs> but it will be in the three digits. My savings account will not be in the three digits. It will be in the six digits, but I will look at that and say, don't you fucking touch that. Let that sit there and remind you that you can't trust this fucking business. Because as soon as I touch that money for something other than like a home, then I feel like, oh, yeah, look at me. I made all this money. No, it's, that was a lottery ticket. And that was my big fear in 2020. And I remember saying it on this podcast and I said it to the Righteous Girlfriend in like May of 2020. I said, I just don't want this to be like I won five numbers on Powerball. I want this to be the start. And I want to be smart about this. And that's why I made every effort I could. Hey, I'm going to do more impressions. I'm going to try and like incorporate multiple impressions into most of the videos so that people start to go, oh, he does this. Oh, he does this. Oh, he does this. And I'm going to share stand-up clips every week. And I did that for like a year. 
so people see the stand-up work and, and know that there's more to me than, and, and see that I'm a top-tier stand-up. So I, I, I strategize because the one silver lining of how my career had gone, I had a very pessimistic outlook and I felt like I had to fight early on to broaden my reach and to broaden what people knew and expected of me. And it didn't work. And so now when I go to my bank account at the end of a month and it's $480, you know, everything's paid off. It keeps me, it, it reminds me that I am back where I was. Able to pay my bills, mostly because, I, you know, partly because I have a day job. <laughs> and that's fine. That That's fine. But not, if, if I allow, if I allow myself to use that money. Oh, and I've put away a shit ton into like retirement accounts also. But that's, that's also funny to me. Like I've maxed out every year. I max out what I can put in my self-employed IRA for the last two years and what I put in my regular IRA, which is just six grand, um, which I was already doing. But it's one of those things where you go, yeah, this is, this is, this is the right thing to do because I have to live my life like I don't have comedy success because outside of a 18-month period, I don't. So that's why I don't touch that money because that money feels like a lie that I bought into. And so that money can be used for something big, but it can't be used for everyday stuff or for me to take vacations or for me to like do something fun with because it doesn't represent fun to me. It represents a lie. And until that money is not a lie, which means, boom, sold a special to Showtime, sold a special to HBO Max, sold a special to uh, fuckfucks.com. Then I can start to see that money as seed money or money that represented a hard-earned change in my luck and fortunes. But until that happens or until I get booked on Billion Season 7 or get an agent who can get me opportunities that I think should come easily since plenty of things came without them then that money just represents bullshit um so that's a little bit more about me guys how about that isn't that fun um what else did i want to talk about oh god uh knee surgery is going well today i walked to starbucks and back without a well with my cane but not using it i'm using i'm holding the cane you know as like a you know emergency measure in case my knee starts hurting or in case I need to beat up somebody. Um, but the knee is uh, improving, which is good. Uh, I'm hoping to resume my four-mile daily walks April 1st. That would be a nice time to start that because that would give – and then maybe a month of walking. And then in May, we start jogging. But we all know how that's going to happen, right? Like I'll start jogging in, on May 10th and blow out my knee. And then I'll be like, uh, special taping is canceled uh, because I am having uh, catastrophic knee surgery and uh, I'm in a full cast and coma in the hospital. Uh, come to Half Blackface 3.0, January 10th, 2027. <laughs> Not afraid of giving even worse than worst case scenarios. Um I wrote a couple things down. I talked about gigs because there's not a lot of them. So that was easy enough, and that got us down this whole rabbit hole. I'm seeing a hand doctor on Friday. 
who's going to just make sure that I don't have like ligament or tendon damage in my hand because it flares up and hurts. Uh, that's the hand, of course, that I almost broke on my old Dell laptop. Um, so gigs, knee surgery update. And uh, I told my nephew a joke. I was hanging out with my nephew and my mom yesterday. We watched some March Madness. We talked. Um, got pizza. It was just a, a fun, fun, fun family day. Even my mom seemed uh, 90% happy. Um, although my mom, uh, never happy to see me. She's like a, she's like a, she's like a 90% empty comedy club. <laughs> she's like on the phone. She's like, when am I going to see you? Hey, this weekend. All right. And then I see her and she's like, hello. And you just, it's like, she's not, she's not able to be like cheerful until we start talking. And as long as I'm not trying to help her with anything, uh, she can be good company. But as soon as I started to help her with the TV... You're very nasty. <laughs> um, it explains a lot about my life, I think. I'm, I'm very proud of who my parents are and, and, and the work and their, their journey from uh, Washington Heights and Port-au-Prince, Haiti, to, to come together and have me uh, and uh, give me the life that I, that I have. But uh, it explains a lot about me, I think. The fact that I uh, do comedy. But um, I was driving in a cab on the way to the train home. I, um, we passed uh, Academy Street in Inwood where she, where she grew up. And I thought to myself, I came up with a joke uh, that I wrote down and I'll share it with you now. But I thought my mom's neighborhood was like all Irish and Italian. But it started to change uh, while she lived there. And I said, I, I don't know why I thought this was funny, but I was like, you know, some neighborhoods get gentrified. Hers got Lin-Manuel miranda which is when all the white people get replaced by Latinos and blacks. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was funny, but it's very applicable. You know, like if you think of Hamilton, the casting of Hamilton, it was like, yeah, that's called that's called Miranda. Um, I think I said I didn't want to call, use Lynn. I think I wrote in my phone when I was making the note to myself. I was like, uh, her neighborhood was Manuel miranda <laughs> I think it sounds funnier to just use, not to say Lynn. Uh, her neighborhood was Manuel Miranda. That's the opposite of gentrification when all the white people are pushed out by uh, Latino and black people. Um, but uh, but I told my nephew a joke also. I said when I was really young, because we didn't have a car or anything, so it was all buses and trains for us. Um, but I would see a stop sign. I'm talking like when I'm six. And I just thought to myself, maybe eight. Maybe I was more mentally deficient than I'm letting on. But I, I would see stop signs all over my neighborhood when I'd be walking. And I'd just be like, but when can they go? Like the sign is not a traffic light. So like, when when can you when can you leave the sign that says stop? Because it doesn't all of a sudden change to go. And my nephew found that very funny. And I thought, okay, well, there you go. There's actually a joke that, uh, that works on the 14-year-old the community. Um, but one thing, one other thing that bothered me, obviously we've talked a lot about things bothering me on today's, uh, old school installment of JL's a whiny bitch, but I've got a couple things to review for you at the end of the show. Uh, so hopefully you've stayed with us, but, uh, I took screenshots of a couple of things I've seen several months ago, a father allegedly posted on Twitter, a picture of his son who he said, my son is autistic and today is his birthday. And he doesn't have any friends. Not one. It would make his day if you could just say happy birthday to him. 
And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Now, I say this as somebody with a, a nephew who is pretty, pretty uh, strongly autistic. I don't know if severe is the right word, but it's uh, it's it's a it's been a very challenging and, and tough experience for my brother's family. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not my business to share how tough, but it's been very tough. And tough decisions lie ahead for them that are, are, are you know, just as, as difficult decisions as can be for a, for a family. And a family of means, a family that, that obviously loves and cares. It's, it's, been, it's, very, it's a very demanding and, and tough experience, and it's, it seems to only be getting tougher. The reason I say that is my brother-in-law, my brother and sister-in-law are very, uh, they're on social media, but they're sort of social media averse in terms of like family stuff, that, you know, and they kept their kids off for, you know, now you might see a picture of my, my nephews, like now that they're 17 and, and 14, and kind of my younger nephew already has a small social media presence since he's allowed on Instagram. But um, they would never in a million years do some bullshit like that. And I always found it particular. And I know I, I, I've opted not to say something on Twitter, but I, I'll take the heat. I will take the heat for calling these people assholes. Um, but I understand if they're telling the truth, it's not worth a fight over people whose kids, if they exist, are autistic. Okay, so it's 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 even though it pisses me off, it's not worth the fight because even if you're even if I'm right, if they unless they're total frauds, even if I'm right, it's gonna hurt feelings. But I always was wondering, like, so so is this like a you know the first time I saw this, I was like from some guy. Of course, it had like nine thousand retweets and celebrities and blue check marks. Oh, happy birthday, Elliot, or whatever the kid's name was. Hope you have a great day, Elliot. Yo, and I'm sitting there going, okay. So you put your son's business out there. Anybody who knows anything about anything is going to understand that autism is very difficult and tough. But you had to go with that one step further of, and I call this cloutism. And I wrote a joke called cloutism, you know, seeking clout on social media based on your kid's autism. And I never wrote, I never put into an act yet. I haven't put it into an act. And I don't think I can. I don't think I'm equipped to, to just be the kind of comic, even though I think on paper, I could probably write this bit for a comic whose audience would appreciate it. But it's, it's. Sometimes I can think of jokes and then reconsider and say, I don't think that joke is me. Um, and I'm probably too righteously angry about it for it to be like a total like, look at me being irreverent. But cloutism is what I dubbed it. And I think that is kind of funny. But the whole not no friends, not one. Why, why are you putting that? Like, I genuinely want to be like, why are you putting that out there? Like, why are you shit? Like. Why is denigrating your kid, even if true, worth it? I would think if you're if you're a real parent of an autistic child, I would think you'd be uplifting them and or protecting them. And it's not their Twitter account. It's yours, dad. So. And then you tell me, oh, my kid. Uh, you know, there's, there's always that follow-up tweet like, oh my God, the, Elliot is beyond thrilled. Thank you so much. Really? So he's, he's, and I'm, I'm saying this not comedically. 
So he's autistic enough to not have social interaction skills and things like that, understandable, to make any friends or to have a lot of interaction. Okay, I, I get it. But he he's over the moon about the 9,000 retweets that dad got. I call bullshit on that. And so I took a screenshot of that one time and was tempted to make a joke about it, and I didn't. But then yesterday... I see, you know, some Ellen is trending. Just Ellen, the name Ellen. <laughs> and it's, an, it's a parent going, um, I'm, the mu- I'm the mom of a 22-year-old named, I think the name was Ellen, it might have been something else, but of, of Ellen who has Asperger's and not a friend in the world. It would mean the world. If, and it's like, okay, so is this the algorithm boost? Like you have to mention these different factors? Like be sure to mention that your kid has no friends. Um, like I see Holly Robinson Pete, uh, former 21 Jump Street um, actress and uh, a wife of former NFL quarterback Rodney Pete. She's like an autism activist and she posts things like uplifting her son who has autism and like praising activities and things like, and I go, yeah, that makes sense. You're an advocate. You don't, you, you might even speak of difficulties, but you're not going to shit on your autistic person, on, on your autistic child to get a boost and it's like one of those things, it's not worth the fight. But what I what I really want, you know, part of me just wants to be like, oh, look at all of you engaging in this fucking uplift bullshit porn. Oh, it's a happy, happy birthday, Alan. You're the, and I'm like, is anybody, is it just me because I'm relatively close to the situation and I don't experience one fiftieth of what my brother's family uh, experiences, but I'm at least close enough to have heard and seen and experienced some of this stuff. And it's just, I find it fucking deplorable. And I know, don't judge, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Don't Judge here, but I'm just like, the reason I judge is because I go, either you are shame a shameless grifter or like beyond fucking clueless. But it's just such a weird, it's such a weird, and maybe that's just, is that how social media is changing us? But like, man, I, I can't, I just can't imagine posting shit like that and it's like guaranteed viral and i don't even know if i would be upset if it wasn't for that that threat that that mutual detail that they both shared of no friends in the world at all Ugh. if my kid didn't have friends if i had a child and my kid didn't have friends i think the only person i'd say that to would be my wife or partner I wouldn't say that to another fucking soul. <laughs> and then on top of it, if the child were special needs, I'm certainly not putting it on blast. Like my kid's a fucking loser, but they have this difficult affliction. Everybody, can you boost my account and make wink wink my kid feel better? Gross. Fucking gross. And like I said, I could be partially wrong, but even if the facts of those tweets are a hundred percent correct. I still, I still find it wrong. Um, and I can't put myself in the shoes of, of, uh, exactly of, of those families or those parents, um, air quotes in case they aren't parents, which part of me just thinks like, what is this BS? Is this a test? Is this a, an algorithm engagement test? But it just feels wrong. So down with cloutism is my uh, thing. See, so didn't that feel like a, like somehow even more angry than I was at my con. See, so 
even though I get disproportionately angry and depressed over my comedy career, there are still more important things in the world that can get me even angrier and more depressed. And clout chasing possible fake parents on Twitter is really up there for me. Uh, I hate it. I hate it. And I feel like, I don't know, I, maybe I shouldn't hate it this much, but it just feels like I have such respect for my brother and my sister-in-law for who they are as people and who they are as parents that maybe I'm projecting their disciplined, focused love and attention on other people. And it's an unrealistic thing to, to place, but I'm sorry. It just seems fucked up. Uh, so no clautism here. Okay, so let's do some reviews and get you the fuck out of here and I can get back to my day job. Um, did I mention that I have a special taping in New York City on May 14th and 9.30 p.m. at the Triad Theater? Uh, go get your tickets now. Um, and don't you want to be there in case, like, I find out after the show that, like, there was a technical difficulty? Because that's when the fucking Knights, Knights in White Satin starts playing and I lock the door and say, now you just can't leave and just go off. Don't you want to be there for that? It'd be like when King Kong breaks the chains in the theater. You're like, oh my God, this is scary. But it's also kind of what I really paid for. Um, Buffalo, April 26th. Triad Theater, May 14th. And City Winery, July 15th. Two shows, hey. I'm gonna, I think I might stay the weekend in Boston, though. Just to, If those are the last shows of my career, I might just wake up and, you know, eat a Dunkin' Donuts and walk around Boston for several hours. Um, I don't think the, the Red Sox, uh, I think, I think oddly enough, I think the Red Sox might be playing the Yankees in New York that weekend, which is, I mean, is that JL Jinx or what? That is so JL Jinx. Hey, my team's playing that city's team the same weekend I'm in town and I've never been to Fenway Park. I should get tickets. Oh, fuck. They're in New York. Fuck that. <laughs> So maybe I'll go uh, just watch like a beer league softball game while in Boston. I, I'm sure I'll see the same number of racial slurs and dropped R's. Um, although that's my favorite joke that I told at City Winery, like a one-off joke. I just said, Boston, not even a top, f not even, not even, not even on the metal stand for most racist accents. Because I said, because no matter how many times you say it, you can't pronounce the hard R. <laughs> <laughs> So in case you're wondering, my metal stand for racist accents was Southern, Southern white American, followed by white South African, followed by Northern white trash American. Um, because when you sound kind of like from the South, but you're actually in a Michigan suburb, that feels even more racist than if some guy from Mississippi was like, I don't like what I, I do I don't like well, everything turns into New Orleans down there for me, but I I don't like them there black fellows coming into my store here, so we don't we don't like them one bit. Sounds not as bad as if I hear I don't like them black fellows coming into my store up in uh, Michigan trying to be all Black Lives Matter. Like if if you hear that accent, like white trash Southern accent in a non-Southern city, I just go, that's what I remember saying when I saw Eight Mile for the first time. I was like, oh my God, Kim Basinger. Like, I can't believe trailer trash is like a, a universal Southern accent. Like she's in a Detroit trailer, but she's like, bye rabbit, I like it. Like, anyway, these accents are getting really bad. I apologize. But um, 
Yeah, so if those are my last shows, I may just make a weekend of it in Boston and then just take the Acela home. And for the, you know, that the Acela home will be the credit scene where they like, like at the end of Michael Clayton, where they just focus on George Clooney for like five minutes during the whole, the whole credit sequence. That would be the end of like my movie, which would just be me on the Acela with like looking out the window, eating a Danish and like a tear streaming down my eye, realizing that the 19 year journey of comedy has come to an end. And, uh, you know, so that's maybe what I'll do. Or I might just leave the fucking city, like, immediately on, like, a, just to make it extra harsh. <laughs> like, all right, guys, good show. I'm taking the 1 a.m. bus back to Newark. <laughs> Jail, why do you treat yourself so badly? Because I never want to forget how badly comedy's treated me. The minute I put my head down on a nice hotel pillow, I forget that this business is constantly ramming me in the ass i think that's a second anal rape reference for this show so let me just check that off the list okay two times that's what the advertisers ask me for they they want to have time stamps for the anal rape references so boom two done okay we've satisfied the sponsors this show sponsored by any movie but licorice pizza licorice pizza it's a bunch of fucking bullshit um so let's get to the reviews uh, first of all, I'm now halfway through the book Invisible Child. I made a shit ton of progress in the last few days with like all my train rides. Um, stirring book. Very, very, very. Uh, it will be one of the books I first review for JL, JL Max Plus Prime, which I think it's going to be a reality. That will be launched. Um, I'm quitting comedy. Also launching a Patreon. That's a classic JL Covan message. Um, no, the, the fact that I'm going to launch JL Max Plus Prime on Patreon speaks to that 3% of me that just burns with optimism. Like, like that there, I'm not yet ready to 100% believe that there's no justice or integrity in the world of comedy. I'm only 97% there, and that 3% is represented by the fact that I'll be launching JL Max Plus Prime probably like the day I go to Buffalo on the 26th but it'll be somewhere around my birthday which is april 24th get those uh get those cameo orders in for me a anybody who wants to order me a cameo and then send it back to me uh, uh totally welcome present i'm just kidding that would be very crazy um but uh i'm mapping out what's going in and i've explained already what would probably go in but i'm ex i'm excited about it because um i hope it makes me money um, but I will have editing costs and stuff, but, um, you know, the first, the first content will be, uh, like my, my favorite books of 2021. And then starting in May will be new book reviews and invisible child will be one of the reviews that I do for, um, for the, for the Patreon. Uh, I already have a smoking jacket. Um, I have my new home office. We'll deck it out, uh, ready for, for, for very, uh, suave book reviews. The tagline already for JL's book club is books. They're like documentaries for smart people. Uh, there will be movie reviews at some point. Obviously, gaming with Mike Pence, um, G-A-Y-M-I-N-G, will be uh, the exclusive series to start. Um, and then other sketches will just be like early access. And the first one I think I told you about, but that I finally wrote, guys. I finally wrote it. And The Righteous Girlfriend Who Laughs probably the least of any human being alive at my material um laughed at the exorcist joel osteen reboot it's going to be hilarious and of course in my heart i'm like god i want this video to get like a million views 
but it might just get like 8,000, which would be heartbreaking and suck. But but so be it. I'm prepared for it. But it's going to be outstanding. I need to cast it and hopefully shoot it in mid-April because I'd like that to be the first kind of premium thing on JL Max Plus Prime. And that video will not be hidden from the world. It will just be like the video that I give early access to to, to members. But that will be hopefully ready by launch filmed edited etc by launch um book reviews bonus podcasts i i think sometimes the bonus podcasts i may not limit myself to like one it'll be like the kind of thing where it's like you'll get two bonus episodes a month at least and some might be like last week where i just do a throwaway that actually ended up being funny and then i'll also try to arrange interviews maybe with authors that i review their books or maybe with um people whose tv shows i've been on the creator of billions that would be the only person that's a category of one and i don't know if i could get them but the point being um that's the kind of stuff i will do on the podcast sphere so i'd like to have one of everything lined up by launch so that there will be a bonus pod a book review episode a mike pence gaming episodes now we may we may not limit it to like my i'm just spoiling it for you guys because you listen and hopefully many of you if not all of you will be patreon subscribers especially if i keep it uh, very reasonable um, you know, no more than $5. I think maybe I'll have two tiers. I might do like a $3 tier and a $7 tier. I don't know. I don't know why that makes sense. Uh, but you know, uh, whatever you, you get it. That's, but, but, uh, um, the first episode of Mike Pence gaming will be, and, and one of the, the costs I need to sort of get into honestly are, um, I kind of want to get a Mike Pence wig, but that's expensive. And I also want to get a Joel Osteen wig. And that's expensive. I have the money, but like that that could end up being like, oh, it cost me three months of Patreon to get two wigs for four sketches. Not very cost effective, but I do take great fucking pride in this shit. And I could sucker myself into just being like, you just got to go and do the best content you can. Fuck making a profit. But uh, the first episode of Mike Pence Gaming, I think, will be MLB The Show 22 with Mike Pence creating his own create a player. I think that would, I think if you're like, la- I hope you're laughing right now because you can imagine it's like, Oh, well, it looks like I've got to put a Jersey on this muscular Mike Pence. I was hoping to, you know, play the game shirtless, but, uh, <laughs> I think that will be funny. I think that, I think that would be hilarious to be honest. Um, which is why I'm doing it. So there'll be a Mike Pence gaming, a book review, a bonus podcast, a, a hopefully a, early access to the Joel Osteen, The Exorcist sketch. And did I already say bonus podcast? Maybe movie reviews, but you get it. I want I want there to be like four or five pieces ready for April. And then obviously in May, you'll you'll get your new set of content. Um, but I'm I'm ex- see, I'm glad I got to at least say that cuz as as much as I bitched in the first half, all in my opinion valid and earned. When I talk about making this stuff, I still get excited. Now, it always disappoints me. But that's that's the dilemma, I think, that just rages through me, which is like, no matter how upset and depressed and, uh, and failing my comedy career seems, delivering you guys like some really tough, like funny book reviews, I don't know, maybe that could be the thing that, that gives me a third boost to my career. Maybe I become the funny book critic. I don't know, I'm not, and I'm not doing this for angling. I read a lot. People seem to like it when I make recommendations for books. So I can make like funny but also 
useful book recommendations and reviews and turn it into a little show. And, you know, maybe only 70 people subscribe to it, but maybe 2,000 end up subscribing to it a year from now and it becomes like a popular thing. And I don't know, but I want to do it. I do want to do all the things I just said, but when I launch it and I get 81 subscribers, that will be, you know, a gut punch. If I get 500, that'll be cool. If I get 1,000, that'd be awesome. But if I get 80 or 62, part of me is like grateful to those people, of course. You're, you're, you're the realest of the fans. But at the same time, in the aggregate, you just have to go, why am I doing this? this I, I keep putting myself out there to, to have these little failures. These like failures that aren't, you know, it's like getting a C minus. It's like, could you at least have failed me? And then I could repeat the grade or like have a funny story about failing. But a C minus, like, ugh. I just look like I, I'm just not very smart. A fail could be a lack of effort. It could be something else. But a C-minus is like, oh, you're just kind of dumb or, or ill-equipped for this work. Um, so, like I said, you can hear the pep in my voice. Like, I'm, I'm still kind of excited about JL Max Plus Prime. Like, I'm going to get some graphics made and, and set up the channel and, and, and pay my guy who's, who edited my stuff for so long to, to come on board uh, each month to, to edit uh, the stuff, maybe make a few social media clips of things because I know it's going to be good. And the fact that I'm still capable of making good, good material and good comedy and also just sharing some, some smart or thoughtful or engaging stuff, you know, gives me hope because it's sort of, you just, you say, well, if I can make it, you know, it's a, the field of dreams line, right? Like if you build it, they will come. Like my career has been, if you build it and build it really well, they will still ignore it. But you still believe in the if you build it, they will come eventually. That's, I guess, my, you know, field of nightmares uh, motto. Um, so that's what's what's coming out um, end of April. So I'm very committed to it. It's going to happen. So thank you for your patience and thank you for the people who continue to express uh, interest in it. And like I said, you guys, for whatever reason... Whether you be a friend, an old fan, a new fan, you guys are obviously the most engaged in what I do. If you listen to this podcast, it's a pretty easy rule of thumb. So obviously I hope many of you, if not all of you, join at some level and I hope that I produce the kind of stuff. Obviously I will start to steer away from doing movie reviews and book reviews on this podcast. I'll have to come up with a, a third theme besides positive, funny reviews and morose comedy career talk. But obviously, I'm going to steer some of that stuff to the paywall. So I hope you'll you'll come along um, if I make it reasonable and if it's obviously hugely entertaining and engaging, which I hope it will be and I think it will be. So on to this week's reviews. Um, Licorice Pizza, as I alluded to, I fucking um, hate is a strong word, but um, uh, it was a cho- it was it was I was not pleased. I was not like thrilled to watch it. Um, felt like a kind of a waste of my time. And, and had it not been nominated for Best Picture, like when I saw the previews for it, I was like, oh, I don't like the title. I don't think I'll like this movie. Good, I'll ignore it. And then it got nominated for like seven Oscars, including Best Picture. And I said, well, fuck it. Now I have to see it. And uh, I didn't have to see it. So I would recommend you not watch it. You might be different from me, but uh, yeah. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I talked about, I did a bonus episode, right? I don't know what I'm talking about. I think I already told you I hated licorice pizza. Anyway, let's talk about the things that I definitely didn't talk about. Um, I watched the movie Titane, this French movie. 
um, that my friend Ross had recommended to me. He's a uh, he's my oldest comedy friend because we met in a here's the dirty little secret. I did an improv class when I started doing comedy, not because. Um, it was more of an art of war, know thy enemy. So I was like, I need to know what all the unfunny people are doing in entertainment. I will take an improv class. No, but I was just, the humility that I started comedy with was twofold. I was prepared to quit comedy if my first open mic didn't go well, because I said, I know I'm funny to my friends and that's good enough for me, but I kind of want to try comedy. But I, unlike a lot of people who get into comedy, were like, my friend tells me I'm funny. I'm going to fucking kill this bro. Um, that was the white version of that. And, you know, the person of color version is, you know, like, man, I kill my friends, man. I make my friends laugh. Like, I'm, and it's like, oh, okay, get up there. Okay. Well, you're saying I'm a lot. And, you know, yeah, 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 seeing any comedian, black, white, or, uh, any other color with confidence fail is, is really enjoyable. That's, that's all I'll say. But I approached it, um, you know. With neither the with with neither white nor black arrogance, I approached it with, I might suck at this. This is really nerve wracking, but I didn't. I had a good first open mic in front of a nice audience, and uh, we were off to the uh, we were off to the depression races. But um, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, there it is. There's the mental. There's the mental lapse. I was talking about licorice pizza, and then I was talking about oh, my friend Ross. Yes. Um, so I took an improv class because I thought, well, it can't hurt to hone some of the skills of improv. Even if I'm not going to do improv, thinking on your feet, reacting to things can't be an entirely useless skill when it comes to being a comedian. So my, my friend who I met in that class, Ross, remains one of the few, maybe the only person I've, I have as a friend who I didn't meet through work or school. Like he's literally, I think he might be, no offense. And, and when I say work, I mean comedy. So any of my comedy colleagues or friends who are listening to this, I count that as work. Sad work, low paying work, depressing work, but work. I'm talking about somebody who I just met, you know, hey, what's up? You want to get lunch after class? Cool. And now we're friends. And we've been friends for, uh, you know, since, since summer uh, 03. And uh, he made the trip up to D.C. for Half Blackface 1.0. And when he gave me, it was when he gave me the sort of, he's white, but he gave me the Charles Dutton end of Rudy nod. Because he's seen, he has seen it all from me. He has seen, he's heard all my stuff. He's been to, I think, multiple tapings. And he's seen me in D.C., you know, probably fucking a dozen times. So he's seen the development. He's seen new jokes. He's seen me go to new levels. But the response he had to half blackface as somebody whose opinion I've always looked to and trusted because he's a real comedy fan and he's known me the whole stretch was not even it was just a like it wasn't even a friend saying that was good, man. It was like a comedy fan just going, bam, like that was it. Um, and that felt great. And so. When he makes recommendations, we're, we're, we're both movie fans, and uh, he we, we, we'll usually, when I'm in D.C., we'll usually catch a movie when it's not a pandemic. And he said to me, you got to check out this movie, Titan, the last time. We were in Shake Shack, I believe, after one of my D.C. improv shows in December. Yeah, it's one of, he said it's a, it's a creepy movie. It's weird. It has like the most disturbing first half hour of pretty much any movie I've ever seen. 
but it's good, homie. He's from he's from South Carolina, but he, he drops like I always I, I when I write to him I spell homie H A U M I E, but he's like you gotta check it out, homie, and I checked it out on Hulu. It's on Hulu for anybody who hates life and enjoying things. Titan, uh, which I believe is French for titanium. Uh, I'm gonna spoil this movie. So fast forward exactly thirty seconds if you don't want this movie spoiled. Woman gets into a car crash as a child. She has a metal plate put in her head. She becomes sort of mentally off. She's like dead eye staring her father, who I believe she blames for the accident. And then she becomes sort of a weird exotic dancer who dances on cars. She has this weird relationship with cars because she appears to fuck cars during the movie. Uh, she's also a serial killer that the authorities are looking for. End of story. She ends up pretending to be the lost child of a fire chief. But then there's also an incestuous thing when he sort of learns that it's she's actually a woman and not her son, but he accepts her anyway. And then she gives birth to a half-metal, half-baby child at the end of the movie. That was Titan. Um, I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was creepy and weird without being... It was just I didn't enjoy it at all. And I don't recommend it. But so be it. That's it. Uh, but on a brighter side of Hulu, I'm five episodes into The Great which I am enjoying a lot. Um, it's from the writer of The Favorite, which won some Oscars, and uh, one, one of the writers of Cruella, a movie, if you've been listening to this, or to Chris Lambert's Oscar podcast, which is up right now, which I am heavily featured on. Um, that writer, it was when I saw Cruella and thought, what a witty, brilliant script. And I was like, oh, that's the guy who did The Favorite, and he also did The Great. It's finally time to start watching The Great. I had it on the, the queue, the list, for a, for a while on Hulu, and I'm enjoying it. So, so far, five episodes into its, its ten, 10 episode seasons, and there's two seasons, so I'm 25% caught up so far, um, similar to the ticket sales I have for my special. So 25% is the percentage of the week on Righteous Prick Podcast. Uh, I'm enjoying The Great. So that's, we always like to end on something positive, don't we, on this podcast? So... So far, even though it's just a partial recommendation, I'm five episodes into The Great, and I find it to be a, a beautiful, dark, humorous, satirical, dry wit fest. Um, and that guy, Nicholas Holt, who played Beast, like he played a young Beast in the uh, X-Men movies, and he was the boy in About a Boy with Hugh Grant. Uh, and you'll recognize him, he was in The Favorite as well. Um, it's a well-acted show. It's really funny, uh, but he has just what a what a delicious. If I can sound like a pretentious piece of shit TV and film critic, he has a deliciously delightful villain role in the show. Uh, it's just it's a good it's a good time. I'm enjoying it. So there, as always, you you waded through the muck of of jail's mental swamp, but we we try to come out happy so uh the great how about that we end on the great we start with the goat of depression jl covan and we end with the great on hulu so thanks for listening guys this podcast is obviously being delivered to you normal time tuesday morning so i can say with consistency and pride i will see you next tuesday <laughs>